You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, the one, the only... Christy Morris. Christy, how's it going today? Good. Uh, you know, just swinging in with my brand new suit, cape, got it all together. Nice. Gonna drive a brand new ride. Yeah. It looks a little bit different than I, there's something I can't quite place my fingers on it. You know, I just want to, I don't, uh, hmm. Oh, it's, uh, it's special lighting. Oh, it's the lighting. Okay. That's what it is. Are you sure that's, I don't, yeah. hmm, I don't know. Well, John. John, welcome back uh, to the 602 Club. Is is that what, what's different about Christie's suit? Harvey, I'm Batman. Oh, sorry. Wrong part of the movie. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. Yeah, we're here. We're talking about this. There's a Batmobile in it, at least. That's true. Yeah. There is a Batmobile mm-hmm. in this movie. Hey, can you yeah. can you just give me this? This movie actually has Batman in it. So. Yeah. A version. Yeah. That's so. true. Batman's in the movie. That is yep. absolutely correct. I will. Yep. I will concede go. that as okay. a factual point. Yes. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, so before we get to Batman Forever, uh, you could find us wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever that is, so you get the shows as soon as it drops. And then, of course, give us a star rating over on the old Apple Podcasts. It definitely still helps the show grow. And we read those reviews on the show, so we really appreciate all the people who've already done that. Uh, you could find us. Please follow us uh, and like us over on Twitter at 602 Club. Of course, you can find us on Instagram at 602 Club TFM. You can also find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm. You can find us online at track.fm. And if you want to talk to everybody who listens to the network in the Listeners Only Discussion Group, on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. So just search for that. And maybe you'd like to send us an email. We do enjoy getting emails. It's been a while. So go to trek.fm slash contact and that email will come to Christy and I. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, of course, want to say a huge thank you to our social producers, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah for supporting us over on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash trek.fm, where you can make sure that all of the shows keep coming to you each and every week. And so if you like this network, Again, support us on patreon.com slash trekfm. So um, this is an interesting thing uh, that I'm I'm wondering for you guys, because this was a movie that kind of had some special significance in seeing for the first time. Uh, and so I'm kind of wondering for you, both of you, what your first viewings of Batman Forever were like. Well, I'm the old man, so I saw it uh, in the movie theater, you know, with with relatives. My brother was definitely there with me because my brother, huge, huge comic book fan, bigger comic book fan than I could ever hope to be, uh, encyclopedic knowledge up to a certain point, sort of stuff. And um, but we both loved Batman, so th- there was we, it had Val Kilmer in it, and Val Kilmer was on fire at this point in his career. 
if you put Val Kilmer in a movie, mm-hmm. I was there. I was absolutely in line to see that movie. And then you, you, you put, okay, Nicole Kidman. All right, that's cool. Oh, well, uh, all right. And we're bringing back Pat Hingle and everything. Okay. And they keep saying, you know, this is going to be sort of a course correction. Two-Face is actually my favorite Batman villain. So I was excited about that. Looked a little off, but okay, okay. We'll make, we'll make allowances here. And Jim Carrey was the star that was on the rise at that point. He was stratospheric. I couldn't have been more excited for this movie. And uh, it led to be a very generous uh, read of it. We were all a little bit younger back then, a little bit more naive. And and so we came out of it saying, you know, that was a fun time. We weren't judging it in terms of, is this the most authentic Batman? It was like, oh, you know, we had fun. There was good music in it. What the hell happened to the theme? But okay, we'll take that one in stride and keep moving. And, uh, you know, at least they kept, you know, Dick Grayson as an acrobat. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but from the very beginning, there were there were cracks in the dam that only grew over time. Uh, and so, like, I I hearken back like it's I've never hated this movie, but I've never loved it. And it's always been in that realm of recognizing that this just isn't the way I like to see Batman. And so mm-hmm. it's not that it's not valid. It's just this is this is this is a little more 1960s Batman than I would have wanted uh, by this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my first viewing, I think I either don't remember being in the theater or we just never saw it in the theater because I do remember as a kid, um, I was alive when this came out, John, <laughs> so you're not that old. Uh, but, uh, we didn't go see a lot of things in the theater when I was young because it was expensive for a family of four and, you know, we just didn't have a ton of money. So we would wait for a lot of things to come out and then go rent it. Um, so I'm pretty sure my first viewing of this was at home with my dad. Um, but it kind of same as John, like I didn't hate it, but I think I just forgot watching it. (laughs) Um, it was just kind of like, meh. Not my favorite version of Batman. Um, but I mean, I felt the same way as far as initial seeing of who was going to be in the movie. I was really excited. Um, I always wanted more Batman. I was a Batman fan at this point. Um, and was interested to see if Catwoman was going to come back, which of course she didn't for this one. So um, it was just different. I think I'm still a little bit more of the the Batman 89 version is more my speed. And I Mm -hmm. I definitely agree that they they even said that they were inspired to go back to that 60s Batman feel in this one. Yeah, it's it's really interesting for me because, you know, in 95, I am right in the middle of like high school and I'm going to movies by myself at this point with friends and stuff, you know, so uh, and. You know, like you said, John, you listed off everybody who's going to be in this movie. And so it's a huge cast list of just really well-known or very, you know, people whose stars are rising like crazy, like Jim Carrey. And uh, so I couldn't have been more excited like you to see this film. I mean, I just remember being in a theater uh, and just being, you know, wowed. You know, it just in that sense, because it's so overwhelming, you know. And I, I think... Anybody coming off Batman Returns, you know, this is 
this is definitely a course correction from that for sure. And and so um and I, for all intents and purposes, I I liked this movie when it came out. Like you, John, you know, I was I was younger. I wasn't thinking critically about it at all. It was just it was a big cultural phenomenon, you know, and I'm right in the middle of high school and so yeah, so this was one that I've I had always liked, you know, and and it was different coming back to it like later on, I would say. Um, but I I think what I'm going to be fascinated with is kind of getting into everything, you know, watching it again because it again, like all of these Batman films, it's been years and years since I've actually sat down and watched any of them. And so it almost felt like coming into it fresh uh, because I've been watching through mm-hmm. the series and watching the progression now and, and stuff. So um, I, th- what's interesting is Batman Returns again, and uh, this time Batman's going to have a new man at the helm because the studio didn't like, you know, the the dark, returns mm. they they weren't hip on that um they didn't feel like they got their return in the box office the way they wanted um you know obviously mcdonald's had said no to the toys just because of how dark the film was and so burton does two things he's a producer on this film but he only does two things he helps find the writers and he's the one who picks schumacher to replace him which is fascinating and um mm-hmm. they decide uh, the writers with they agreed with Burton that the key element of of Batman is his duality, and that I mean in the end that this is really what this movie plays with is this whole question of like will Bruce Wayne be Batman forever and why, like what will be the choice between, and so like all that is a great setup. Like it sounds like you know when we're mm-hmm. coming into this film and we're just looking at everything you you'd see production wise and everything all that stuff just sounds fantastic yes it does and the original script is something that would have been really something um because the rewrite done by akiva goldsman who star trek fans should know very well by this point um really is i think where schumacher steps in and camps it up um there are elements. I think one of the reasons why, despite its campy inclinations, that this movie didn't get savaged the way that Batman and Robin winds up getting savaged is that its initial starting point was closer to Burton's vision. Mm-hmm. And Schumacher moves it. And he doesn't move it too far, but it has an anchor. He can't go too far away. He can be zany, right. he can be silly. But it gives it that that sort of like carryover gravity that the story sort of calls for. And the thing is, picking Schumacher is not an odd choice. Schumacher is no stranger to serious stuff, to scary stuff, to really style it. The Lost Boys mm-hmm. is one of the best movies of the 1980s. Fight me on it. I will I will go down swinging on that one. Uh, and he, he did DC Cab so he can do comedy pretty well. Although the humor in that doesn't age particularly well. Um, but, you know, so like Schumacher's a proven director. He can do this stuff. He can manage a big production and he's a good manager of people and can get good performances out of people. It's just interesting because over time, as this has been tethered, 
you know, as the as that tether to the the emotional tie to Batman and Batman Returns gets more and more distant. I think that's where a lot of the the harsher criticism comes into play mm-hmm. with Batman Forever. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like the initial idea definitely was a good one in trying to stick toward um, Burton's vision and then also having that duality aspect, because that's absolutely a valid question. I mean, how long is Batman going to stay in the suit? Or, you know, is does he still have that desire to branch out and actually make a relationship work and maybe give up his job? Um, but it feels like throughout this movie that it's two different things arguing with each other that it's trying to be zany when it doesn't feel appropriate and trying to throw in the serious moments when I just never Mm -hmm. feel like Kilmer really delivers. So it, and it sucks because I actually really like Kilmer as an actor usually, but in this film, I just felt like in the moments where he's supposed to be really, um, stunned and, you know, overwhelmed by emotion that it just feels wooden. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I think they go off course with this. Yeah, it, it's interesting, John, you're talking about the, like the tether between the films. And to me, at least conceptually, the idea of this is a much better follow up to 89. Because mm-hmm. you're truly like thematically, you're you're dealing with those questions like with with Bruce specifically and his how long am I going to be Batman? Will I be it? You know, will I be this person forever? And, you know, um, the, the you know, this movie also plays with the whole idea of like him and, you know, um, the reason he chose to be Batman in the first place, which, you know, this series really hasn't gotten into as much as like something like Batman begins will which is all about that that reason of him choosing to do this um so this movie is actually in some ways retroactively trying to help us kind of understand that as it asks that question of will batman be batman forever and you know all of that i think is really interesting you talked about christy the zaniness and i think it's really interesting because you know one of the things i wanted to touch on here is we talk about batman returning again you know, Schumacher kind of gets a lot of hate because I think this movie also gets really linked with what what where it goes in, in Batman mm-hmm. Robin. But just in, in and of itself, you know, this movie has what's been called the Schumacher cut, which has got 50 extra minutes, which is supposedly contains a lot less camp. It's quite dark um, compared to what we get here. Uh, and has a lot of elements that are playing more within that theme of Batman really struggling with his dual identity or Bruce struggling with that dual identity and trying to work through those issues with Dr. Chase, which to me, it's like, it's so fascinating because in all honesty, I would argue I can see an excellent movie in this movie. And I could, I feel like I could go in and like really edit this in and make it in a, a much better movie, even just the the version we have now, just by cutting some things. Mm-hmm. But to realize that there's all this other footage that it, it's like it, it, I wonder if it was it one of those places where maybe we just don't know where the studio comes in and gives notes and it's like, no, we want this to be lighter. So give us more Jim Carrey stuff instead of darker Batman stuff. 
Well, I, there, there's no doubt. I mean, Jim Carrey was he was becoming the box office draw at this point. Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. Like Jim Carrey was becoming the big hit maker. And so, of course, they're going to want more of him. But in all honesty, I honestly think to, to speak to some of the criticisms um, that, that you touched on, Christy, like one of the biggest structural problems with this, and we talked about it with Batman Returns, is the two villains. There's too much going mm-hmm. on. There's too much of a split focus. So while we can sit here and we can say, well, there's a Schumacher cut that's darker and longer and uh, we could cut some of these things unless you were to somehow invent a time machine where you go back and you make this either a Riddler movie or a Two-Face movie. And Two-Face is much more suited to the type of inner turmoil that Bruce Wayne is going through. That's part Mm -hmm. of the reason that his character is Mm -hmm. always so interesting is because Batman is not split down the middle like that necessarily, right? He's found a way to live in harmony with his two sides, like a yin and yang sort of thing. And Harvey is the person where the two never mix. There's no gray with him. And so they're, that's why they're always such an interesting counterbalance with each other. And that, so I also think that Schumacher was an incredibly gifted filmmaker and also an incredibly gifted uh, self-promoter. And so in later years, he's talked a lot about how, oh, well, I wanted to make things darker, but the studio wouldn't let me. He had the pull and Burton had the pull to say, no, no, we're going to give you our cut. We might sand the edges here, but you have to live with our vision. And so I think that it's a little bit damage control because, you know, when you go through decades with people just curb stomping you eventually you know maybe maybe you'll say oh uh, no i i wanted it to be more like the way you're saying and i'm not saying that means he's disingenuous i mean that's sort of a thing where somebody can just get so beat down that they're just like yeah you're right sure yeah that's that's Mm -hmm. what i should have done and with the schumacher cut quote unquote i mean there's always an assembly cut and then it always gets winnowed down right but to your point, what I'll concede is he's the director. He could have steered it a little bit differently mm-hmm. at certain points to make yeah, it Yeah, because better. there feels like there is a duality of film here. You know, because there is mm-hmm. a, a storyline here to which is much more serious, you know. And, and we're, again, we're dealing with those those big Batman themes, you know, here and... Again, I, I would say one of the strongest points of this film, and I was joking at the beginning, John, but this movie is about Batman. Like, it's not about the villains. It's really about him. And they actually play into his story more than vice versa, especially Two-Face. Uh, it could have been better. Again, this is one of those places where the editing could have been better uh, to help really tie those together. But, um, you know, I, I just have... I mean. V- I'm of two I'm of two minds about it where it's like I like a lot of this and there's other things that I don't and it's just really frustrating because you can see a better you, you can see better choices in every almost every frame you know but 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 to mm-hmm. speak to that there in terms of choices there's also an instance here the character of Two-Face is Schumacher losing control of an actor because mm-hmm. the, the the stories have oh, yeah. since come out, 
you know, years later that he resented Jim Carrey. He considered, he, he said something nasty, like you're the whole pro, you know, you're not serious. You're the whole problem with my craft. Like obviously paraphrasing, but he, you know, Jim Carrey carried that with him for a long time. Where it was like, wow, Tommy Lee Jones hates me and he doesn't even know me sort of thing. And mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones was trying to keep up with Jim Carrey. Like there's, there's almost yep. a, a sense of, you know, the, the established Oscar winning star feels a little bit insecure because the new hotness has shown up. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that works to the detriment, but it's the job of a director to come in and control what you're getting. The director tells the actor what they, what they yep. want from them. He doesn't let the actor tell him what they're going to give. And yep. so conversely, Kilmer was also reputedly difficult on set as well. And mm-hmm. he and Schumacher did supposedly the story goes, I have no idea if it's true. The story goes that at one point they got into a heated discussion and Kilmer actually shoved Schumacher and like stormed off set. I have no idea if it's true, but it's a story that I've heard. Um, and there are other stories that Kilmer was not always the easiest person to work with at that time. So I sort of, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting because Kilmer steps in as Batman. You'd be crazy to turn down a role like this. But then look at Tombstone, which comes out basically at the same time. His heart's there. His heart is in Thunderheart, is in uh, Tombstone, is in Heat. This is not really where Val Kilmer wants to be. This is Val Kilmer taking a job as opposed mm-hmm. to Val Kilmer being an artist. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great time to, I mean, talk about the fact that they do choose Val Kilmer. And I mean, the list of people that they thought about is long. I mean, Keanu Reeves, the Baldwin brothers, Dean Kane, uh, you know, uh, Tom Hanks, Kurt Russell, uh, Ralph Fiennes, Daniel Day-Lewis, Johnny Depp. I mean, and in fact... Dean Kane looks like the person that they were looking at almost the most. And then they decided, well, he's in Superman and Lois. So eh. it's like there are so many people mm-hmm. at this point who could, you know, may possibly be Batman. And and one of the big reasons that Keaton decides not to come back is he rejects the script. He doesn't like where they're yep. going, which is interesting because. Did Keaton not just want to work because this whole movie is about Batman. No, uh, Keaton Keaton <laughs> said from the very beginning that he didn't want to play Batman for the rest of his life. He was humorous uh, which is about understandable. it. understandable. Yeah, but he, he, he always said yeah. that his, his personal hell would be to be playing Batman for the rest of his career. And so I think he just saw his shot. I think that probably Batman Returns doesn't go the way he wants. He looks at it. The script doesn't completely compel him. And he has an out to say, you know what? I I I don't really want to keep going. I don't think he disliked the script that much. I think it was very easy for him to blame to say, "Oh, this isn't the direction mm-hmm. I want to go." Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any way you were going to get Michael Keaton to agree to this role unless you said all of the gross profits go directly to your bank account. Then he probably <laughs> would have said, "Okay, I'll get right. a shot." I mean, because fifteen million apparently wasn't enough. Yeah. No, but yeah, but yeah, you know, he he was done. I, I think he was just over with it. Yeah, it, now that you say that, I'm like, 
yeah, I don't buy then that it was just, I don't like the direction it's going, especially if the last one, you know, didn't do as well. It's definitely an easy time for him to say, I'm going to move on to some other things. Thanks. So, but it's hilarious to me to think that they considered Tom Hanks because I love Tom Hanks, but he's not an action star. No, (laughs) I can't really picture him as Batman. (laughs) He would have totally been the Adam West Batman. Yeah, he yeah. totally could right. have been. Um, what's interesting is that they did make an offered Ethan Hawke. And that's really interesting, you know, knowing what he can do as an actor. And I, th- you know, it makes me wonder it do- if they choose him, is it better? I wouldn't have gotten Gattaca, I don't think. So I'm glad that they didn't choose him. Um, I don't think Ethan Hawke is necessarily right for the role either. I don't um I think I don't think people would have gone with him. He's a little too uh heavy. I I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Like Ethan Hawke belongs like Val Kilmer in the more naturalistic you know emotional mm-hmm. drama sort of stuff than I dress up in a bat costume to beat up bad guys because I have drama mm-hmm. sort of thing. You need somebody mm-hmm. who can and that's why Keaton is so successful. Is it, I, I think that's why you you find them looking at comedic actors like Hanks, because the comedic actor can play it a little lighter, but also navigate that sort of more serious tone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, was there a good choice in, in that group? Right? That you like, Christy? Who would you of the of the people that Matt lists? Who would you have picked if they? If you have a time machine. You're sitting there. You're the casting director. They give you this list of names. Mm-hmm. Who do you go after? I'm going to surprise you and say Kurt Russell. Oh, well, I mean, come on. That's not fair. Kurt Russell belongs in everything. So, that's, that's <laughs> But, you know, especially after seeing him as Snake Plissken, yeah. I'm like, he could do Batman. Oh, absolutely. I completely. Listen, you don't have to sell me on Kurt Russell. I want to digitally add him <laughs> to everything that I love. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. It's the Kurt Russell cut. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like all the others, I'm like, Keanu Reeves, eh. No. No. Uh, the Baldwins? Yeah. No. Well, at this point, oh. Alec Baldwin, maybe, because, you know, we're talking uh, the Hunt for October, Alec Baldwin. So there, possibly, yeah. but still, like, don't necessarily think he's the right choice. But I will say this, the thing that, for me, Alec has above all of these actors is he has that ability to be sarcastic, which mm-hmm. they wanted in this mm-hmm. Batman to be having some of those sarcastic lines, like when he's like, it's the car, right? The chicks dig the car. Alec Baldwin would give that line, I think, very well. Uh, when I think of like when he's making fun of uh, Sean Connery's captain, when he's like, be careful what you shoot on here. Uh, things don't react well to bullets. And he's like, like me, you know, like that type of banter is the type of thing that I think they want this Batman to be pulling off and Kilmore is just not that comfortable I think with it even though I did notice for for Kilmore he kept some of of uh, you know Keaton's mannerisms you know with the way he takes off his glasses um even the way some of the answers he gives to people seem somewhat Keatonish um and he's in some ways he's playing it more reserved like Keaton does. He just doesn't have that sparkle in his eye that lets you know that like 
there's more going on, like you said, Christy. So it does feel like it's it it's more wooden than you want it to be. He actually needs to feel more naturalistic, like Keaton does, especially when he's Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's actually better as Batman when he's in the suit. Like he seems to be having a better time than he, when he's just in, you know, the 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 big suits of the time as 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 uh, Bruce Wayne. He just doesn't seem like he's having fun um you know honestly it seems like yeah. he is actually well, having a little bit of fun in the bat suit except for four scenes and when i say them you're you're both gonna go yep you cannot swim in this suit i don't know what that was about mm. it just looked like swimming was so easy mm. you would sink like a rock um b the butt shot what was that about yeah please that's c yeah. The nipples. <laughs> and D, when he um, turns to the camera and smiles after he confirms that she does yeah, really no, want to be with Bruce Wayne, I not was Batman. Exa- I was actually going to zero in on that because that is the goofiest shot in the history of, of 1990s film. It's, yes. It's it just looks bad. so terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you take a pause to look at his face yeah, and have a go. No, it's, it's, oh God. <laughs> it's I remember the laugh it got though. But the thing is, right? Like this movie is a tastemaker and is also a part of the trend, right? The 90s people were really lightening up about everything. And it seems like such a long time ago mm-hmm. now. But in the 90s, you know, the Berlin Wall fell. People were a little bit more optimistic about the future. Everybody was a little bit more, you know, party. And so, like, this very much seem this very much belongs to that more, you know, hey, it's a good time, things going to work out sort of vibe than the brooding stuff, yeah. right? Because 89's yeah. Batman obviously comes out of the Death Wish, uh, rough New York sort of thing, whereas, you know, we got a party Gotham going on here. Neon lights everywhere. Hey, and also <laughs> these weird gobos with... Uh, you know, Asian symbols for whatever reason, just projecting on the side of buildings. It's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, well, and I think you're absolutely right. It feels like the 90s in a film. Yeah. Like this is yep. if you wanted to explain the 90s to people, this is the movie to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Even the logo from the beginning when oh, it yeah. comes in with seriously, the- honestly, I, I hate that opening so <laughs> it damn is much. terrible. I, it is I terrible. absolutely do. and the, and the, the the music there there was a rumor for years, and uh, Schumacher later said it wasn't true, but then initially they said it was true that um because the soundtrack for this is very good. I owned the soundtrack mm-hmm. back in the summer of '95, and it's got some really good songs, including uh, you know the U two song "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill yep. Me." You know, which is an outtake. You know, it, it was a B-side song, but it was, it was a good, catchy tune, right? And they, there, there's some other. The Offspring is on here. You know, uh, there, there are a couple of really strong entries on the music here. And there was a rumor, I, although I took it as gospel, but you know, who knows what's true anymore? That there was originally no score to this; that it was going to just be a rock and roll soundtrack, which would have, you know, to what you were just saying, Matt. There, it it would have felt much more like a '90s party action movie than mm-hmm. the sort of more somber, bombastic, operatic sort of thing that was going on with Burton stuff. And so, there's a part of me that wonders if this movie would have been better off uh, 
not having Elliot Goldenthal's music, which, you know, he's a talented composer, but I, I just don't think, I don't like what he did here um, mm. at all. Um, yeah, I, I think it's yeah. a good time to, I mean, since you brought it up, he doesn't, he, because Schumacher doesn't want to use the theme from 89, so he kind of creates his own, which is not bad. Um, honestly, it's better than a lot of the bad themes that we started to get in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they just weren't writing anything memorable. At least this is semi-memorable compared to a lot of stuff that I think, like, I can't name, and I can't think of the X-Men theme, you know, from those early 2000s movies, mm. things like that, where it's like, they just stopped caring about superhero themes, and at least here he had written something mm-hmm. that is good. I I think what ends up happening is because he leans into too many places in the film to kind of the 66 feel. Um, so uh, some of this score is really operatic and it's really Batman feeling and it, it feels good. Um, uh, but then there are the, again, there's a duality to it to where there's that other side where it just feels kitschy and it does. It, it's that again, I'm of two minds about, the score itself like there's parts of it that i really enjoy i've been listening to it this week and i'm i actually do i really enjoy it and then there's other parts i'm just like i'm just gonna skip that track because it's obnoxious Mm -hmm. well or even just the sound design of other you know effects they add in some of the scenes with the riddler towards the end Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like at one point even though you don't hear this it's similar to like hearing a slide whistle Mm -hmm. yeah where you're just like Oh, come on. Well, there, and there's also, you know, you mentioned that in the sound design, absolutely right to call it out. But I think that even ties into his invention being a blender with styrofoam pellets in it. And, a, yeah. and like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, you know, honestly, you know, you sort of go along with it back in 95 because of the Jim Carrey thing. And, it, okay, we're being a little funnier and stuff like that. But you look at it with a critical eye and you look at it and you're like... You know, it, it, it's a line I love to roll out every so often. Okay, if you're not going to take this seriously, neither am I, right? Like, who who mm-hmm. looks at a, a you know, oh look at my invention? Like, it literally looks like a kid's arts and crafts project from elementary school, where you're like, oh, sweetie, that's so inventive. Wow, look, oh look, you put fins on it. That's so neat. Okay, and you hold on to it so that when mm-hmm. they're twenty, you can roll it out. You be like, look what you made when you were five. This is funny, isn't it? But like, eh, yeah, I, I mean, and what's what's also really interesting is the scale at which I didn't realize until I went back and rewatched it not so long ago. Um, actually, with with, with um with, with a friend of mine, Sean, who I mean, he loves it uh, for you know kitschy, nostalgic reasons and stuff like that. But I I didn't realize at the time, or I I, I didn't care as much at the time or whatever, but the the amount of rudimentary CG in this movie Mm -hmm. is kind Mm. of mind-boggling, right? Like, you look at it, and it's it's amazing where you have an entire film that is a testament to how far we've come in terms of of digital effects. Like, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of scenes where I went, oh, that's painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just cut that. Yeah, well, and it's, <laughs> and it's uh, our beloved sci-fi hero, uh, uh, John Dykstra, 
his mm-hmm. his effects company is at the at the lead here, and it's kind of like, oh wow, that's okay. Well, I guess you're trying to be a trailblazer still, so that's cool. But huh? I, sure I mean, I, yeah. I think that they're trying a lot of things here, and part of that, I mean, you th- look at this: the, the budget is a hundred million dollars, which is a lot of money at the time. Um, but it's, a it's lot still probably now. less than it could have been. Um, especially if they had done some of these things i guess more practically uh you know um you're 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 probably saving money by doing it oh for sure generator for form. sure so i mean and yeah. you know i'm not gonna get all up in arms because it doesn't look great because it's you know 1995 so um but i i think the 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 bigger thing is that with the like a new gotham you know, we, we redesign Gotham again, and this time, you know, we lean into the comic books of the 40s and the 50s, this kind of like the New York architecture of the 30s, the combination of modern Tokyo. And so basically, it just feels like proto-Coruscant. Um, mm. we, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think the problem is, is, yeah, there's a statue every two seconds, um, and it just... It, it feels so overdone, so claustrophobic, not in a good way, and that's the part that really kind of hurts the film because the movie is kind of having so much insanity, the production design needed to be a little more grounded. Mm-hmm. Unless your approach is to think that you're making a kid's movie. Possibly, right? I mean, I guess. Th- this yeah. is, I mean, in, all, in all honesty... They're not making this movie even for 12-year-olds, right? Star Wars is made for 12-year-olds. Famous lie from Lucas and everything, right? The, the 12-year-old that lives inside of you. This is made for younger than that. I could very easily see a kid who's five, six, seven years old seeing this and just thinking it's botho. It's just great. Especially a kid who three years previous had been traumatized by the penguin, right? This is this is right. clearly declaring that that penguin does not exist in this universe, and um, so I I mean it's like, but here's the question: then, what production design would have even worked with this interpretation of the character? Other than this, there's no other world you can put him in, right? Like it. This is again, this is the studio backlot 1960s Batman. I still think, though, you could have toned down the lighting ideas, for example, like you were expressing earlier, John, with uh, there's so many different color of lights around during every shot. Um, And two, I feel like it just they can't figure out a location to show that they like best. Mm. So they just show everything possible. And I'm like, I feel like I just went through some kind of fever dream where I'm like, what did I see? Um you know, like you can't really figure out what the city of Gotham looks like at this point. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no map of Gotham that exists in my head here, right? No. Like with with yeah with Batman Returns that had its own challenges, but like at least in the first Batman, I'm like I feel like I could walk through those streets. Whereas with this one, it's like each location is just completely disconnected from the last. It's just sure. a location yeah. instead of an actual place that you would inhabit. In a city. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, too many of the things just also feel like really bad sets, you know, especially where the, the mm-hmm. um, 
bat signal is. It's just, yeah. It, and again, it, I mean, it, it does. It feels like it feels like Coruscant, you know, when you're down in those lower levels, like 1313 and stuff like that, the, the entertainment district from episode two, you know, uh, it, I'm not saying, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's as good as that because it's not, I'm saying yeah. it has a, like <laughs> it, a child put that together and pretended like it was Coruscant. It, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And, and, and so I, I think one of the things, so John, you mentioned earlier, and I think it's definitely a good time to really kind of dive into the fact that we do have the two villains here, and you have Riddler and you have Two-Face. I want to talk about Riddler first because, one, they really did want Robin Williams to play the Riddler, um, and of course he had gotten screwed over with the whole Joker mess, and so he he's never really going to say yes to this. Um. And that's disappointing because, in all honesty to me, the biggest downfall of this movie is Jim Carrey's Riddler. Uh, and the fact that they they never control him on screen. And so, it he always goes so far that it completely ruins the effect. You know, it's just like, it's so over the top. And then, like you said, that can, makes, you know, Tommy Lee Jones as an actor want to go over the top as well. And it's a really bad you know, cyclical loop. And, and and all honesty, I just wish that the Riddler wasn't even in the movie because you could have just had an incredible film here if Tommy Lee Jones's Two-Face is the only villain and then you're really dealing with the duality issue and you don't need him. Yeah, I, I have to say it could have been so much of a better Riddler if... A, Jim Carrey had listened to someone telling him to tone it down and really think about the character that the Riddler is rather than trying to be Jim Carrey in a movie. Um, but also, I think it's on the director to say, you know, like you said, John, it, you're going too far. I think that we need to bring it back to why we're doing this. Um, because he had just done Ace Ventura Pet Detective and The Mask and then did this and then went to do the next Ace Ventura movie. And so you can see it's it's exactly the same performance in each one. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because, like, I do see some elements of Jim Carrey that could have been just like the 60s Riddler that actually would have been a good thing. But it, it just is too far. And you, it just feels like you're watching Jim Carrey rather than watching a character. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the perfect way to say it. I, I can't really add anything to that. Yeah. I mean... There are people that really like Carrie's performance in it. Uh, I don't. I actually. I don't have anything against it because, at the very least, Carrie is entertaining, as opposed to Tommy Lee mm-hmm. Jones's Two Face, which is just baffling. You know, Jim Carrey at least gets a chuckle uh, on occasion, whereas Tommy Lee Jones just really feels like somebody who is just in over his head and just doesn't know what's going on, what what is up and what is down. Yeah. Well, it feels like he's trying to mimic Jack Nicholson. It feels like Jack Nicholson's performance with Jim Carrey's performance had a baby. And that's what you get. Like this weird bastardized (laughs) version of Two-Face. Because there should be more nuance to Two-Face. And there isn't any nuance here. He just comes across as one note. And 
Mm-hmm. The fact that Mel Gibson was offered this role and just had to turn it down because, of course, he, he, at this point he's doing Braveheart. I was devastated to hear that because Mel Gibson would have killed this role. Like, it no, would have no. been amazing. The the cardinal sin from the beginning is not letting Billy D. Williams come back and take the role. Period. Thank you. Full stop. He's charismatic. He's a good actor. He is, uh, like, he's established in the first movie, so you have a, a you have somebody coming back who ties everything together, makes you a little bit more invested in everything that's going on. And I legitimately just would have been interested to see Billy D. Williams take it on. Like he was, you know, like he got the part of Harvey Dent with sort of the wink, wink, nudge, nudge promise. You know, Harvey has an interesting story coming up. We'll get to that in the future. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like casting him aside in favor of Tommy Lee Jones is honestly his flavor of the month business because Jones wins the Oscar for the fugitive a couple of years before this. And so they're, you know, they're making a business decision. I mean, let's be honest. The cast for this movie is a business decision from top oh, to bottom. Yeah, sure. And that's yep. one of the problems is that you have to cast for chemistry for best mm-hmm. actor for the part for all of these things. But instead they reach in the goodie bag. Who's hot right now. Jim Carrey's hot. Val Kilmer's mm-hmm. hot. Nicole Kidman's hot. Tommy Lee Jones. Hey, he just won an Oscar. Let's bring him in. He'll he'll we have an Oscar winner in our, in, in our movie. Hey, it's got to be good. And, you know, mm-hmm. that'll get grandma and grandpa in the door, too, because he's a respected actor. And, um, yeah, I mean, Jones never should have been in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, they actually said they were going for the MTV yeah. crowd. And I'm like, with Batman? Yeah. Like, you, you, it would have been fine for the MTV crowd without changing it to try to appeal well, to them what's idiotic about it too is the mtv crowd are the ones who saw the movie in 89 mm-hmm. right like i'm the mtv generation mm-hmm. i yeah w- w- like it, it, i i think you just actually put your finger on it because it's like what bigger indication do you need of executives not understanding what that even meant right right mm-hmm. like that that meant you were trying to reach out to Gen X and it's like, well, hey, yo, guys, hey, you should have asked a couple of us what we wanted in the movie then. So, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because a new love for Batman, it was actually going to be Rene Russo. Like, she was cast as Chase Meridian when it was going to be Keaton. And they, mm-hmm. when she decides not to come in, um, they drop her because they feel like she's too old to be paired with Kilmer, which is kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. she, I think she would have been fantastic. But in all, honestly, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't have a problem with Nicole Kidman in this movie at all. I think uh, the direction that she's given here, she when she stops going after Batman so hard, like it gets better. Like when he finally, you know, breaks down the door to her office and comes in and they start having actual conversations much better. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the beginning of the film, she's playing it. She's just playing hardball uh, with him, you know, coming at him so, so fast, uh, you know, and it, it, 
it doesn't make her seem like a legitimate uh doctor in the in the film um you know when she's coming at him so fast and it feels like i would have loved for them to have had her play it you know um just not so like fast and loose you know i like want her to hold rein it in a little bit because um that <laughs> rooftop scene is just cringeworthy you know where she's talking about rubber and and i'm like there's no credibility for this character and until like halfway through the film when they really start having conversations. And then like, again, there's this weird duality, like it kind of flips and then she starts like helping him through his dreams and stuff. And it like becomes more of a interesting role, but I don't know. There's, it's very strange because I don't dislike her in this movie, but it's because half of it, I feel like it's a, they let her stop being that weird character she's playing at the beginning. Well, and like, even when she gets more to do later, then it just feels wrong because it's like, she's bridging the line of she's his doctor or she's his girlfriend. Exactly. It's just all. And you're not supposed to be both. That's unethical. (laughs) Oh, you and your rules. The nineties were a different time. (laughs) You know, I honestly, her character and her dialogue, I, I don't care for Chase Meridian in this movie. A lot of it seems like sexual innuendo written by somebody who, you know, we all have that friend who sometimes like, you know, everybody's sort of like laughing about, you know, sort of like, you know what, Michael Scott. This is as if Michael Scott tried to write sexual innuendo and it's like no whoa whoa, hey hey Mm -hmm. you know you don't want to come down too hard on him because you know he doesn't mean bad things by it but it's kind of like whoa whoa, whoa, hey we uh, socially maybe we shouldn't do this sort of thing and that's yeah yeah and and i think that's why her character doesn't work and it's again you know everything about this is just in a boardroom putting pieces together and uh, well, we need a love interest, and who's it going to be? Uh, uh, Nicole Kidman works out just fine. That's uh, yeah. Let's bring her in, and it's like, eh. I don't know. I, I mean, everybody's here to collect a paycheck and not taking it terribly seriously. I think, and I think Nicole Kidman get, is caught up in that. Well, it feels like they decide that her character's purpose is just to be like they think the women in the audience must be about Batman, right? They're like, we're just going to put a woman in this movie to be like, ooh, Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and she doesn't actually have anything legitimate to do. There's no real reason for her to be a doctor, to be there. Well, which is <laughs> which is really interesting because they make her a doctor, right? But she does, you know, to your point, right? Like Vicki Vale is a really interesting character with her own sort of arc and her own backstory to it. And, um, you know, Selena Kyle, you know, as out... Or Harleen Quinzel, who was also a doctor. Well, that's true. That's true. But Harleen, Harleen Quinzel <laughs> is a little bit fringe at this point. But like, it, it, it really is. It's 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 one of those things where it's like you have a, an accomplished professional doctor as your character, but she's somehow less layered and interesting than the administrative assistant in the in the previous movie, and definitely less interesting than the photojournalist in '89. And it's. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's a, I honestly, I think it's a fault of the writing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I 100% agree with the, the sense that it is the writing that is the problem there. Um, because I, again, 
I do think she is more interesting in half of the movie because they stop with a lot of the sexual innuendos and dive into her mm-hmm. being a more like a le- quote unquote kind of legitimate character, which is Christy, you rightly point out, it kind of has this weird vibe then because, you know, that doctor patient type role. And of course, Bruce isn't really her patient. He's basically more of her boyfriend um, at that point. She's never really mm-hmm. been a doctor to him. So, but it, it, it still, because she came on so fast to Batman at the beginning, it, she kind of has lost credibility as the character you would want her to be in. And, and she could have a really interesting role here and had, again, if you had just written her a little bit better, she's here for a legitimate reason. If there's no um, Riddler as a character, she has every reason to be in town working with the police to help them with this Two-Face character, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I, the problem is, is it's just like there's these little tweaks that you could have made that really make this work, and they just they take another path, you know? Uh, it's the tale of, of two paths, and... It, they always take the one that is easier and and they think they're going to make more money with and it just it doesn't really work. The thing that I'm scandalized... Like the bat yes. nipples. Well, well, the thing that I'm scandalized <laughs> by is that we never got spinoff movies about uh, Drew Barrymore and Debbie Mazur's characters, oh. Sugar and Spice. I mean, come on. Right? Why haven't we addressed those magnificent... Oh, I can't even keep up the joke. It's like that's that's really yeah. the point where you know you're really in trouble with this movie yep. is yep. oh no. And the and the thing is it it does it can't sustain itself. That's yep. why it falls apart at the end. Is it cannot sustain mm-hmm. the joke. This is a joke that is that starts off really strong and then as you're nearing the punchline you suddenly realize that they didn't think it through. It's again, it's like a little kid telling a knock knock joke. A five-year-old comes up and is like, knock, knock, who's there? Cat. Mm-hmm. Cat who? Cat's at the door. Oh, okay. Yep. We're going to talk about jokes, honey, mm-hmm. and we're going we're gonna to figure this out together, right? And that's, that's what this yeah. movie is. Uh, if you're making a movie that's supposed to feel more like it's for kids, but then you throw in a dominatrix or two, it's uh-huh. suddenly like, wait, what movie are we yes. watching? Yes, indeed. We have to talk about the dynamic duo. Uh, Robin finally shows up in a Batman movie. And, uh, you know, we got Chris O'Donnell uh, playing Robin. They do kind of the classic, you know, sequence of, of you know, his family dying. And, you know, he was an acrobat and all that jazz. Um, I will say this, you know, Chris O'Donnell is not great in this role. Uh, and there were plenty of people that they should have hired, like uh, Ewan McGregor was one they had on the list, um, Christian Bale. Uh, anybody could have done this role, I think, better. And it is disappointing because, again, having him in the movie makes sense if it's only Two-Face. And then Batman and Robin coming together with Dr. Chase... All of those things can work together thematically as Bruce is figuring out why he's going to be Batman forever, if he's going to be Batman forever, and working through all that because he's confronted, like, again, thematically, having Robin in this movie and what happens to Robin really works. It just, the problem is, is who they cast in the role 
and the fact that there are other things vying for the time, so we don't really even get a chance to spend enough time with uh, Batman or, or Bruce and and Dick working together to figure this out, uh, especially with you know you know Doctor Chase Meridian there on the side to kind of maybe help as well them kind of come to grips with all of these questions they're asking. Oh, it's just it is quite a frustrating thing because it's not a bad idea. But when you have the Riddler there and Two-Face, there's just becomes too much going on. And it's it's a really underserved role in the end. It, it And it's too bad because it wasn't a terrible idea. Oh, he was definitely cast because he was hot at the yeah. time. He had just done Three Musketeers. Which I love, um, but that, and yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, hey, he's also good to look at. So that's what I like about it. I'm scandalized. Um, but why? I'm just teasing you. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I think that it just could have been better. And I think there were too many people trying to vie for camera time. Um, and I think you're right, Matt. I mean, with the way that they include Dick Grayson in this, um, especially with them having Two-Face as the one that caused all of that pain for him, it would have been natural to not have Joker at all. And just have the three of them facing Two Face. I find it interesting that you slipped and you called Riddler Joker because I think that's very <laughs> fitting. Um, I did. did. Oh and, God! No, it's I, okay. It yes, works. Yeah. Leave it in. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't blame O'Donnell. I, I no, think not both, at all. Yeah, you've both directly. It, he would have been fine. I think he is fine. He does what he is well, fine. I, <laughs> he's no. He's no Michael Goff. Or Pat Hingle, but okay. Um, tastes may vary. But, like, I think that, um, you know, he's he's a victim of the writing. And like you guys said, like, he, there's just not a lot for him here. And so I'm not mm-hmm. going to fault O'Donnell. And I also wouldn't fault him for taking the part. Because what what actor is going to turn that down? Hey, kid. You know, you're, you're the hot stuff. And guess what? You're going to be in the big hit movie of 1995. You're going to be in the surefire box office hit, and we'll give you half a percentage point of uh, uh, of the net. Sure, sign me up. Right? Not what could possibly go wrong, and nothing really does go wrong for him. I, th- I think that O'Donnell winds up escaping this relatively unscathed because he he's not particularly memorable. And that works in his favor as time goes by. And what works against him is what comes next. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Uh, so we'd be remiss, John, uh, like we would be a lot of times on aggressive negotiations if we didn't discuss a subject. And then we've got to discuss bat nipples. Um, the, uh, do we? The, this, yeah, we do. We do. do um, we? So... We do get two bat suits in this movie. We have the one that kind yep. of references the Keaton bat suit, and then we have the sonar suit, and of course Robin's suit as well. Less said about that, the best, you know. I would contend that if you took the nipples off the suit, it's a very good suit. It's a very good Batman suit. It looks much more functional. Um, he, he still can't move his head, uh, which is unfortunate. 
but he looks much more mobile. The action that they do in the suit is much better as well. You can tell that the stunt performers mm-hmm. can move better. I mean, it, things have changed since 89 and, and technology in that way. Uh, I enjoy both of the suits in the movie personally, except for the nipples. Otherwise, I think these are very decent Batman suits. And, f- and, and you know, comics are known for Batman having many different types of suits. So um, the, the sonar suit, I, I love the, the big, you know, bat symbol across the chest, which alleviates the need for any nipples, which thank God. Um, it's, it's a cool looking suit, I think, as well. So honestly, it's just the addition of nipples that really kind of sours that first suit for me. But otherwise, I'm relatively happy as a comic book fan with the the way both of these suits look. The less said about the Robin suit, the better. Well, and you know, Schumacher actually defended the choice of adding that, saying that he didn't know that was going to become international news and that he designed it after Greek gods, that they were anatomically correct. And it's like, yeah, but to a point, you're still designing a superhero suit, which those are not necessary because it's armor. It's not just his bare chest Mm -hmm. out there. I I think Batman's suit is sort of a step back. I love his armor in Batman Returns. I I like the fact that it doesn't make... In that movie, it did not make the attempt to have molded abs, and it looked like armor. And that Mm -hmm. worked. And this, I, I consider sort of a step backward. Now, conversely, I do like the sonar suit because it's just different, and it yeah, I, I hate using a term like this, but it pops more. And yeah, I, I think the, the the contrast on it is very interesting. Is very and Schumacher's always been a very gifted visual director. I think it's a very mm-hmm. visually interesting costume. Um I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with the Robin suit. Uh it's fine. Um, but it's you know, it's not even so much the nipples as it's just I, I do. I think it's a bit of a step backward. And I, I think that if you contrast them, I think you can see that I react really well to the sonar suit because it looks like armor. Mm-hmm. And we've entered the era mm-hmm. of Batman needing armor. We've acknowledged this in 1989, that we're in the world of guns and we're in the world of explosives and all of those sorts of things. I need to believe that Batman's suit is going right. to protect him from some really awful stuff. And I look at the, the the nipple suit and I'm like, eh, it looks like rubber. And whereas mm-hmm. I, I do think that they alleviate that in Batman Returns mm-hmm. again yep. by having that sort of like plated abs area because I'm like, it instantly signifies to me, okay, there's something guarding him. There's something extra special about this that that works. Um, so, you know, but I, I do agree with you. It, it looks more pliable. It looks like Batman can actually you know, walk through Wayne Manor without falling down the steps. Yeah. Um, which is a plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, the, I mean, Christy, to your point, the, the nipples detract. They just, yep. they did, they do. They really do. And it's, they what? Detract. Oh, okay. Not retract. No. <laughs> that's Whoa. a whole different suit. <laughs> that that's, is. A whole, that's a whole, oh my I don't, goodness. I don't know what to make of that's, that. Suit. But, um, I don't want to see yeah. that suit. I don't want to see that suit. Mm -mm. I don't want to even try to imagine. I'm thinking of a brick wall right now because I don't even want my imagination to go down that (laughs) way. That sounds painful. So side note, though, about costuming, I do think that a plus about the Riddler, not the Joker, (laughs) um, was the costuming. 
Because I I loved when he shows up at the end and it's no longer just what you think it's going to be of the green suit with the black question marks. It is now a white sparkling one piece and he's on a oh, throne. It's, it's fabulous. All but, right. Yeah, that's yeah, that really plays into the whole 90s party atmosphere for sure. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's yeah. uh, got a DJ in the background. That's uh, that or uh, and he's got his staff and, you know. You know. I, <laughs> he looks like he just walked out of a Vegas show. I mean, so yeah, yeah. Anyway. But I mean, I, I still, I want to wear that suit. It looks fine. I encourage you. I think you look better in means, it, though, that suit. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So next yeah. cosplay, I'm making that suit. That's there. That's, we go. I love it. You do you. I'm going. To, I'm going to go as average person <laughs> dressed in a t-shirt. <laughs> well, it's it's time I think for us to get to the the part where we we rate this. Um, you know, I, I definitely think uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. So I'm going to be fascinated to see where we end up with the ratings for. Batman Forever. So, John, you know, as as our guest, um, what do you think? One and a half stars. Period. Full stop. That's it. I w- I'm never going to watch this movie again in my life. I've hate watched this movie so many times. I've watched it trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. I've I've wanted to love this movie so much, and I came out of this recent viewing one and a half stars. I. I'm done. If I'm going to watch a movie I don't like, I want it to be something that I might suspect I don't like, but I haven't seen before at this point. I've spent enough time with Batman forever. I'm done. I'm going to shake hands with it and walk away at this point. There you go. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm still a little bit surprised that it's as low as one and a half, but I I have to say I'm kind of in the same boat that I come in at a two out of five. Um because I think that even when there are movies that uh, I I love because they're really bad, this doesn't even have to me that lovable quality that makes me want to come back and watch it again because it's got some funny parts or whatever. It It does have some things that I still like, but I think that obviously the majority of it, I'm feeling like it's two movies fighting with each other. There are too many villains the Riddler kind of steals the show. Um, and I, I wish that we had had a different Batman. I, you know, I love you Val Kilmer, but just not in this movie. Yeah. So, you know, it's so fascinating to me because I, I don't know why, but I like this movie better than either of you. And it's not nostalgia because I mean, when I had previously seen this, um, you know, since the first time having seen it in the theater, I, I did not respond well to it. So I, I kind of came into this with a, two minds myself. And, and even though I am of two minds with this film, it's the better follow up to 89. And it fits better to me, uh, feeling wise. Um, I, and maybe uh maybe I'm being too generous, but I mean this movie just there are so many ways in which this movie could be better and I'm maybe I'm giving it uh more credit than it's due, but I'd I'd say that this is three out of five and it, it is a crazy and insane movie. But I would go back and I would watch this before I would ever, 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 ever watch Batman Returns again. Like I'll never watch that movie again in my entire life. 
Uh, but I will watch this again. Um, and part of it is, and, and I think this might be it, is that it does kind of have a pretty consistent tone for the most part and sticks with it. Um, even though there are places where I feel like there's a lot of duality, like in a lot of ways too, it, it also knows what it is. And I, I'm not, it, it doesn't seem to want to be more than that. And I think maybe that's the thing. Maybe I've just come to come to it. It knows what it is and it is that, and I want it to be more than what it, it is. Um, because I know it could be more if somebody tried, right? Uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. so, uh, maybe I'll just let it be what it is and, and I'm going to give it three out of five. So Batmobiles, um, cause we didn't talk about the Batmobile, but not my favorite Batmobile. In this oh yeah. Movie, so no, uh, I forgot yeah. about that one and then I saw it and yeah, you know, not great. So, well, it is time for street racing. For, so yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, they're definitely trying some things. Sure. So, uh, if I recall correctly, it, it originally did not have that um, fin Massive down fin. the center. Mm. No, the, the fin down the center. That's something that uh, apparently Schumacher added. Interesting. So yeah. it wasn't the right call. So, yeah. um, it's time though for some recommendations. So, um, neither of you are recommending Batman Forever tonight. So, what would you like to recommend to listeners of the Six Hundred Two Club, Christy Morris? Well, I'm going to crack you up and give you a thing I don't recommend. Uh, <laughs> so my husband and I have started rewatching through the Fast and the Furious series. And uh, the first one still holds up. And I still love Paul Walker. May he rest in peace. Um, but Too Fast, Too Furious, I do not recommend. Oh, that movie's <laughs> insane. That movie is just... It's just... You can't explain it. It's so it's such a departure from the first one. It's like what is even happening during that movie? I yeah. But Ooh. but like I love Ludacris. I'm glad he's in it. Tyrese is great. Paul Walker's great. But it just it's madness. They, well, the thing is like well, I I love the fact that you bring it up because it it really is if you look at the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and then the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, you can see very clearly they have no idea what they're... Like, in, in the era of very well-planned franchises from the get-go, it's mm-hmm. so obvious that they're they're just trying to figure out what the hell they're doing in the first three movies. And then by the end of the third movie, they're yeah. like, okay, that's what we're doing. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. They finally get yep. it together. <laughs> So yeah, nice. anyway, I don't recommend Too Fast, Too Furious, but I do recommend Fast and there the Furious. Go. There you go. I, am I supposed to go now? Because I'm always caught, caught uh, flat-footed yeah. with the uh, the recommendations. I'm going to go ahead and recommend an old movie, also from the 90s, the late 90s. Uh, that Now, to, to give context here, I, I live in the land of the theme park. And one of my favorite rides to go on is Revenge of the Mummy at Universal Studios. Love that. Nice. Ride. Absolutely love it. I have it memorized. Mm. Like, I, like, I wrote it recently, and I was actually talking along with everything. The Magi cannot save you now. Oh, it's your such a good ride. <laughs> right? It is. It's a great ride. Um, and uh, I had never seen The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. And my what? friend had a copy of it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll watch it. What a delightful little movie. It's not great. It, like it's a, it it's is. not great cinema, but it's fun. And Brendan Fraser mm-hmm. is a big reason and here yep. we are talking about people who could have been Batman 
Why wasn't he ever considered in the 90s? He was around. Mm. He would have been a good Batman, I think. A campier Batman, but I think he would have he would have been all right. And he's very physical. He would have been good mm-hmm. in the suit. And uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I I know I'm I'm uh, what twenty two years late to the game, but nineteen ninety nine's The Mummy is a fun little movie. I, I recommend it. That's awesome. I'm happy you said that. I love that oh, movie. Cool, cool. Well, and uh, we're going to be covering it here on the Six Hundred Two Club a little bit later this year. Uh, awesome. So yeah, I'm super excited uh, because I haven't seen those movies in a long while. So it'll be fun to to go back and and watch them. And well, we're going to. Talk about the uh, the first two for sure. And so um, I'm going to recommend uh, something that I've actually personally been enjoying. And, um, you know, we talked about the score to Batman Forever. And there is an expanded archival collection version of Batman Forever, which is the full score. And I know you guys didn't love it, but I am enjoying it. Um, I think that what Elliot... Goldenthal does to create a new theme is pretty good and I'm enjoying list I've been enjoying listening to it and it's fun having the expanded archival collection version because you get all of this music and a lot of stuff that you know of course didn't make it into uh the the original version of the score so um yeah I mean uh and obviously next to I mean Batman 89 whether you even liked that movie or not the score was so a great but to have to try and create another Batman theme it, when you already had that one, it's like I'm 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 a fan actually of his Batman theme. It's not as good, but it's still pretty good. So yeah, I would recommend checking that out. So, uh, but uh, before we get out of here, John, um, where can everybody check you out when you're not here in the Six Hundred Two Club? Uh, I'm Kessel Junkie Online. K E S S E L J U N K I E. Find me. I'm everywhere i guess but letterbox is probably more fun uh because you'll hear you you'll be able to read me write uh snarky reviews of movies like batman forever so that that's always a good place to hang out uh you can find me over on the nerd party network regularly uh co-hosting a show called house lights where we look at the works of directors from beginning to finish and you can find me again on the nerd party network co-hosting aggressive negotiations a star wars podcast with one mr matthew rushing and um christy where can people find you you can find me on twitter and instagram at bespin bell and then of course on facebook and the babel conference and then when i'm not here in the 602 club i also do a show with my friends amanda and Teresa called sabers and spells where we talk about all kinds of geeky things that we don't usually get to um so very excited to see where we go next and share that with you and you can find me all over social media under uh, the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, just search for me there, and you'll probably find me on most of the social media platforms that are out there. Uh, you can also find me here uh, on the network, uh, not only doing uh, the Six of Two Club, but check out Snyder Cuts that John and I do about all of Zack Snyder's work, and then of course doing Literary Treks in the Orb. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and the Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, and when I wasn't doing aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party Network with John, I did Owl Post with Drake Hoffman, where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?
Thank you.